Brad is on the mountain today with his brother Mike, somewhere between Newland and uh, the top of Rome Mountain. The cellular phone is a wonderful thing because last night he called to say we're settled down for the night. And what peace of mind that is. But mark this. He had a 14th birthday on Friday. 14 is the age of when young people are supposed to turn away from the church and get interested in secular things. He said, Dad, can I take the tape from last week's Sunday school for Mike and I to listen to this morning since we can't go to church. Now you can talk about pride in one's son. That brings it out. Not achievement, but that kind of solid footing. Well, that having been said. Incidentally, if at any time there is a lesson that you particularly want to hear again or some part of I'd be glad to share, Karine's tape with me. The flags are no longer at half mass. They rise to the top of the pole. We have experienced many instances of the people coming together in great times of prayer, the times of memory, and these now will fade into the past. Those who are involved in show business came together last week to have a telephone to raise funds to meet some of the needs in New York. It was a high moment of people coming together for a great cause. But that will fade into the past. Repeatedly, we hear persons say, it's time to put all this behind us. Now, let's go back to normal. Normalcy is a luxury that will never experience again, at least for a long time. And how appropriate our lesson is today for the times that we're facing now. Throughout the month of September, we have been studying the miracles of Jesus. Last week, I talked about the miracles that we were experiencing, not studying out of the past, but miracles that were taking place in the moment. I had clarified at the beginning of our studies that there are two kinds of miracles that we normally talk about. That miracle that breaks natural law, that miracle that is so overwhelmingly that we can feel divine presence in it, though no natural laws are broken. And it is the latter kind of miracle which we talked about last week. I shared with you the miracle of love. Repeatedly, there are those who say, go home and hug your children. Go home and love your wife. These are times of an awareness of those things that are so deeply meaningful that we so often take for granted love for one another. And how love was expressed. Strangers in the street coming through the crisis. That's a miracle of love. And we talked about the miracle of serving pulling out particularly those in New York City who walked into blazing infernos knowing that their lives may be lost and many were simply to bring out others. And the two who descended the steps of the tower coming upon a woman in a wheelchair knowing that time was important took time to lift her from her chair 
and assist her down those many flights of stairs. These were evidences of love that normally were not seen. We talked about the miracles of unity, how Republicans and Democrats embraced one another on the Capitol steps singing God bless America and Muslim and Jew and Christian speakers coming together at the National Cathedral to pray for God's presence among his people. <clears throat> we talked about brotherhood, how over 200,000 people gathered at the Brandenburg Gate and sang the National Anthem, how the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace was a playing of the National Anthem, how headlights were turned on in Australia as an evidence of prayer for America. Brotherhood around the world came to the fore during this time of tragedy, and that's a miracle. And finally, we talked about the miracle of faith and how that miracle is yet to be experienced many times over. And so the subject for today's lesson is to determine how faith can bring about healing. We need healing, healing in our land, healing among the families who are still suffering personally from that great tragedy. And we need healing individually for each of us as we have experienced these events in our own way. And we need healing for the world because terrorism is divisive in the world, knows no boundary. And it is the force with which we must now grapple. I have one great fear as we lift our flags to full mass, that we will forget. That we will blind ourselves to anything that does not lead us back to normalcy. There has been evil in the world since Cain took up a rock and slew his brother. There has been evil in the world from the beginning, but there has never been a time in the, all of the history of the world when evil has taken on a face, a person, individuality as it has today. There are persons who are willing to lay down their lives to destroy the well-being of innocent people. We can prevent it happening again. With a resolve, that we will stand against evil in the world until evil is destroyed. And that's what the battle has been from the beginning. The battle between good and evil. If we are to accomplish these things, we must be sure of one thing, that we are in the right. Our president, who stood 10 feet tall, no, 12 feet tall before the world. Never have I been so proud of a man for whom I didn't vote. <laughs> we can all make mistakes. But he said, God is on our side. And so he is. Because it is a battle between good and evil. Not a battle between democracy and dictatorship. 
Not a battle between one nation and another, but a battle between good and evil. Are we in the right? Yes, because of the foundation on which our nation is built. We will find a miracle that comes through faith because of the roots that are a part of our nation. The roots that can be identified in the great documents of the founding of our nation, in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution of the United States, in the Mayflower Covenant, each one repeatedly stating that we are to be a land of freedom, liberty, built upon the principles of Almighty God. Read them. In the words of the great statesman who formulated our nation, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, Patrick Henry, Benjamin Franklin, the many who recognized that the heart of our effort was an attempt to build a nation on God. And so it has been. We have the right roots. They are sunk in the fertile soil of our commitment to Almighty God. One nation under God, in God we trust. It must ever be so. I have pain at reading the words of some of our religious leaders who said that God has taken away his protective arms around America. The goodness that is America far overwhelms any of the ills in America. As we read day by day in the past and will again in the future, how we have suffered one another in times of great need and reached out to other nations. We have sent our armies to foreign lands to do nothing more than to protect the rights of others, getting nothing for ourselves. After World War II, the Marshall Plan that brought to life the nations that we had helped defeat, the airlift to Berlin to feed those who were imprisoned in an environment as a result of the war, whose names were the same as we spoke when we were fighting them with guns. That's America. We do not seek to take other lands for ourselves, but to extend to others in their willingness the greatness of our own. Our roots are planted deep and strong and sure. But the only way to examine the health of your roots is to see the fruitage that comes over time. Will this nation so established so strongly so visibly in the beginning, continue upon that noble route and accomplish the things that were dreamed of in the beginning. Well, less than a hundred years after its inception, we came to such a time of testing. A great war that divided the nation that would determine whether we be one nation or a confederation of states. The battle was fought. And at its lowest ebb, Abraham Lincoln stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg, not yet knowing which way the battle would turn, looking out upon blood-stained ground where Americans had lived. And he said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. 
Now we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated might long endure. And then he threw down the gun. This nation, under God, will have a new birth of freedom. And this nation of the people, by the people and for the people, will never perish in the end. It came out of the ashes of the Civil War, divided not only by region but by family, and became a greater nation still. And then the threat of World War II, when once again we were called upon to use the principles by which we live to overwhelm the forces of evil that was trying to take over the world. And Franklin Roosevelt wanting to guide the people of America in a way that was solid and clear. To let them know what we were fighting for, not just the lands of others but to protect the four basic freedoms on which America was built. The freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom from want, the freedom from fear. These are the noble roots on which our nation is built. And it was certified these past days and weeks when Americans, despite all of their differences, came together I have never heard in public life the name of God used more frequently and a call for understanding and love between us and those with whom we differ. So our roots are secure, our fruit is secure. Now we must firmly embed our faith in Almighty God, who is on our side, who can lead us through. Would that we could avoid any kind of warfare with dialogue. But reasonable men know we can. We said we could substitute our feelings for those who have so mistreated us with a sense of brotherhood and love. That's our ultimate goal. But until such goals are met, we must keep our anger alive. Is it unchristian to be angry? Jesus said, if any one of these misleads one of my children, it's better that a weight were put about his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's anger against those who hurt the innocent, those who cannot defend themselves. Jesus showed anger in the temple when they came in to desecrate the place where there was prejudice present all about. And he said, this is a house of prayer for all nations. And he angrily drove them out. Anger is a Christian expression against those who would violate the rights those who cannot protect themselves. Our anger must not be against persons. Our anger must be against evil from someone who's been a dove all of his life and now sprouting wings because I fear for my children and my children's children 
and all over the people of America if we don't stop it now. So, with a renewed commitment to Almighty God, we can do it. Christ, the greatest price of all, was paid by God to give us freedom and liberty and life. Scripture for our lesson today had to do with Jesus leaving Palestine and going over into Tyre and Sidon. He wanted to get away from the Pharisees and the others who were harassing him. He needed to have a time of peace and quiet. And so he went apart for a while into a Gentile country. And here is one of the most unpleasant stories in the Bible. Of all the things to study, I don't know why anybody picked this one out, because it portrays Jesus in a way that I do not believe in for one minute that the incident is true as it is recorded. A woman came to Jesus and said, I have a daughter. And she is possessed with a demon. Once you hear her. The disciple sharing the conversation said, drive her away, get her away from here. And Jesus didn't respond. And she begged again. Begged again for him to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, why should I take that food before children and throw up before swine. And he turned away again. And she said, but even dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. I wish that the writer had just turned his head and ignored that. Because that does not reflect who Jesus is. I have read so many commentaries and trying to explain the behavior of Jesus. Not one of them came up with anything reasonable. So my plea is, I have no idea. All I know is that this was not Jesus portrayed. He would never do it. And so I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to let him answer for himself. And well, he's got a good answer. I'm going to talk about the woman. Because the woman reflects us in so many ways. The love we've been talking about was the kind of love that she had for her daughter. She wanted her daughter to be healed. And she was a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were those that the Jews hated most. <clears throat> and she dared, a Canaanite woman, come into the presence of those who traditionally and historically had hated them. Total enmity between them. But she had love for a daughter. And she took the embarrassment in order to get healed for her daughter. It didn't work. So, she accepted humiliation. She got down on her knees and begged. Humiliated after hearing Jesus say, food before children should not be thrown down to dogs. Humiliation on the part of someone you love is a great sacrifice. I was humiliated once. I was pastor of the second largest church in Chattanooga. My son was in medical school. I couldn't afford to send him to medical school. He had already gone through Emory University as an undergraduate student. I had another son in Emory University and a daughter at the University of Tennessee. How could I pay for medical expenses? We did all we could and he had to borrow money. And this was at a time in which interest rates were so high the banks wouldn't lend money. 
to students because there was no immediate interest in it. So uh, very little was allocated. It was quickly caught up. And Wesley was in medical school. And that banks in Chattanooga, in Knoxville, everywhere we went, took their heads. We learned of a bank in Nashville that had been assigned by the government to make loans to students who could not find them otherwise. And we went. I stood at his side and heard the loan officer say, if you can't afford to go to medical school, you've got no business going. And if you're determined to go to medical school, you have no reason to go to Emory University. Go to the University of Tennessee where the tuition is not so high. I saw my son being humiliated by a loan officer at a bank. I would have walked out in a moment. I would have shook the dust off my feet. <laughs> but I needed the money for my son. And I stood there and took it. And we walked out totally humiliated. I know humiliation. The humiliation can be born on behalf of someone you love. And she humiliated herself and got down on her knees and said, Won't you hear me? And blessings are for the chosen people and not for the people who are not chosen. She met him with reason. Dogs take crumbs from under the master's table. We as dogs can take the crumbs from your it says your faith which has survived all of this is can bring miracles even when the miracles are denied in the beginning <clears throat> resistance when you're in the right faith will bring miracles we're standing at the beginning of a new journey here in America that which will keep us aloft and strong and see us through is that kind of faith in the God who made us in the beginning. Your message is a blessing to us.
it's sort of fine for the youth to get wonderful embodiment of the mind of what is important in this world is the excitement to the and the way that we live our lives to show others the way that you want us to live our lives.